Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, continuing our conversation about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, it's graduation season at Gateway. During the spring every year, we have five commencement ceremonies. We do one at each of our five campuses here in the Western United States, giving students the choice to go to any of the locations to participate in graduation. And that's always fun to watch because we'll have people come from anywhere in the country, really, that are online students or remote access students to any one of our five campuses. And it's not an unusual experience for me to have someone walk up to me at a graduation and say, I'm meeting you for the first time. In fact, I'm on a Gateway campus for the first time. But we enjoy that kind of uh, opportunity to be out there meeting lots of people in lots of different places. So graduation is a ending and a beginning for a lot of students. But it raises another interesting question. I was once asked, how have you changed since you graduated from seminary? And more specifically, how have you continued to grow as a leader? And so what I want to talk about today on the podcast is how leaders grow after seminary when they enter the curriculum of life. Now, when I was a seminary student, a very popular professor used this phrase often in class. He would say, life is curriculum. And he did that. He, he, uh, he said that phrase in the context of helping us process with him cancer that his son was living through. Here was a seminary professor with two PhDs teaching his class, but yet at the same time helping us to understand how he was growing, how God was at work in his life, how he was being shaped, how he was being changed, how he was frankly maturing by living through the curriculum of life, in this case, his son's cancer. Life is curriculum. And we have to make a choice once we leave formal education of how we're going to access this curriculum and how we're going to let it shape us as we continue the process of sanctification, continue the process of spiritual growth, continue the process of leadership development, continue the process of maturing as leaders. Now, seminary is a good beginning. It lays a foundation. The word seminary comes from seminal, which means seed or seed of life. And so seminary is foundational. It's a seed bed. It's a garden from which many other plants can grow. But seminary or any other formal training mechanism is never designed to teach you everything you need to know about life or leadership. So I was asked this question, how have you matured or grown after seminary? And I've actually, in answering that question, broadened it out to observe how I've seen other people that are my peers continue to grow and mature over time. So I've identified uh, about seven different ways that I think life is curriculum And if we'll pay attention, we can stay in the process of growth in every one of these areas over time. Let's walk through them together. Number one, 
Maturing leaders learn from experiences, both successes and failures. Maturing leaders pay attention to their experiences and recognize them for more than just the incidents of life, but they recognize them as learning opportunities. And when they string those experiences together, they're able to make better decisions. I'll just give you one example, and that's hiring people. I've been in a position since the mid-1980s that I've had to make hiring decisions about staff. In fact, I have never worked since I became a pastor in December of 1982. I have never worked in a context where I did not have at least one other full-time employee responsible to me and dependent on my guidance and leadership. So I have, over the years, employed a lot of people. And for the most part, I've hired people of high character, good integrity, spiritual devotion. There have been very few exceptions to that. But I have not always hired people that were the best fit for their job are the best fit for our organization. Now, as I have matured and strung together the experiences of hiring, I've gotten a lot better at it. So that now, when someone is proposed to me as a prospective employee, usually within just a few key questions or maybe a few short interview encounters, I'm able to tell if a person is really going to be the right person for the job here at Gateway. We recently went through a process uh, where we interviewed several people, and as we did, we met really high-quality people. But it was very obvious to me and to the others who were in the interview process that we hadn't found the right one yet. And when the right person came into our awareness, it was immediate, an immediate yes and a sense that, This one's the one for us. You say, how do you know that? Well, you know that by the intuitive uh, insight you gain from several dozen, if not a few hundred, hiring decisions over the decades. As you are shaped by your experiences, your successes, and your failures, you just get better at what you're doing in leadership. Same thing with preparing to speak. When I first started speaking, uh, of course, preparing to preach meant not only preparing all aspects of the message itself, but also knowing about the venue and the location and the audience and the uh, sound system and all the stuff that goes with that. After about 7,000 plus speaking opportunities over the decades, now I just need to know the topic if there's one assigned, the time frame you want me to speak in, the audience I'll be addressing, and when and where to show up. That's about all I need. Not because I'm arrogant or cocky, but just because I'm experienced. And I've matured and grown and developed a capacity for doing something that I've done repeatedly over the years. So the first way that we mature over time is that we re- and that life becomes our curriculum is that we learn from the experiences of life, both successes and failures, and we get better at what we do. 
more insightful in how we lead because we've matured through the curriculum of experiences in ministry decision-making. All right, here's the second one. I've observed that maturing leaders narrow their focus over time. Now, this seems a kind of counterintuitive to younger leaders because you might think, well, gosh, as you've gotten better, haven't you just done more and more and more and gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and broader and broader and broader and expanded in ever uh, ever increasing ways to cover ever increasing possibilities? No, the opposite is actually true. As I've matured as a leader, I've actually narrowed my focus to try to do only those things which I do best. I didn't say better than anyone else or that I do with excellence or that I'm the best in the world at. I didn't say that. I've just tried to narrow to what I do best, knowing that if I'm focused on what I do best, I'll be most productive, my organization will be healthiest, and I think the kingdom of God advances as best I can help it from my vantage point. So I want to narrow my focus. When I was speaking 30 years ago, I took almost any kind of speaking engagement because I was trying to learn how to do that and trying to broaden my ministry and trying to increase my, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the connection and the breadth of, my, of my, my message. But I don't do that anymore. A few years ago, I, I started limiting my speaking engagements to really about three kinds of events. I I speak at leadership conferences, and I speak on college campuses, and I speak at what I call force multiplier events, which are places where there may be small groups of leaders, but where those people have significant impact over large numbers of other leaders. Those are the kinds of events I speak at now and the kinds of things I do well. I still get asked to do other things, marriage conferences, uh, men's retreats, uh, things like this. And occasionally, occasionally, for whatever reason, I'll feel like that's something I should do. But for the most part, I turn down those kinds of opportunities because, why? Because I want to limit myself and stay focused on what I know I do best. You know, this is not uh, an arrogant statement, and you shouldn't feel like you're being arrogant when you make this statement. You should, as you mature as a leader, identify more and more what you do well what you do best, what's your most productive contribution, and you want to hone in on that. If you're really not a good speaker and don't enjoy it that much, but you're a very gifted administrator and like making the trains run on time, then gravitate toward those roles and focus your attention there. If neither one of those things appeals to you, but you say, listen, I'm a great caregiver, I'm awesome with people one-on-one, I know, I know how to counsel people with wisdom and integrity and help them to sort out life's problems, then you need to gravitate toward that and do that and leave the speaking and the organizing to someone else. It's perfectly acceptable as you mature in the curriculum of life to allow yourself as you learn more about yourself to narrow your focus so that you're not doing more and more and more in terms of the breadth of what you do but you may be doing more and more and more, but in a very narrow vein of what you're really good at. Don't apologize for narrowing your focus to what you're really good at, to what you do best, to where you can make your most significant contribution. Well, here's another way that I observe that I've grown since seminary and that I think leaders mature if they pay attention to the curriculum of life, 
And that is, maturing leaders are flexible about more things, but more rigid about a few things. Now, this is the opposite of what I observe happening with a lot of younger leaders. And I was one of them. When I was younger, I was rigid about many things. I had an opinion about almost everything, and I thought my opinion was right. I had made a Bible study of almost every subject, and I was determined that I had the final word on that on whatever subject I had uh, considered. I was rigid about many things. But as I've lived the curriculum of life, experienced so many different perspectives, so many different ideas, had so many of my presuppositions challenged, I've come to be flexible about a lot more things. But I want to go on to say this. I've also become more rigid about a few things. I have identified that there are some doctrinal positions and some biblical teachings about morality that I simply will not compromise. And I'm finding myself to be more and more out of step with so many in our culture on these issues. And to my alarm, even some who claim to be a part of the Christian community. The curriculum of life, however, still hasn't convinced me to be flexible about everything. It has instead helped me to understand that there are some things that really do matter, and we cannot flex on those things because doing so has such long term disastrous ramifications for ourselves, our churches, organizations, and I'll even say our communities and our culture. So I've learned to be flexible on a lot of different things. I no longer care uh, what kind of music your church sings. I know what kind I like. I know what kind I think honors God. I also no longer believe that I have a final opinion on that matter. I know what I like people to wear. I notice what some people are wearing, and I think, did they know they were going out of their house today? <laughs> I know what I like people to wear to church, but I no longer, no longer make an issue out of it. I could go on and on. There are so many things that I used to be so rigid about that now a lot more flexibility. But, you know, there are some things you just can't move on. Jesus is the Son of God, the only begotten, the only Savior of the world. Marriage is a man and a woman. Gender is male and female. Sexuality is expressed in a marriage relationship and only there appropriately. These are just a few of these foundational things that I've become more rigid about as I've gone along while in the context of learning from the curriculum of life. You see, the curriculum of life has taught me that every time I see these core things compromised or violated, destruction ultimately results. Now, in the short run, not always, but in the long run, yes. And so 
Maturing leaders are flexible about more things. Get over some of your rigidity. I had an encounter recently after preaching at a church. A man came up to me and said, true or false? And he hit me with some statement. And I realized there was something off about the way he was addressing me. And so I said, you know, that's really not a true or false question. And he said, well, it needs to be because it's right out of the Bible. And I said, okay, well, tell me understand more of what that means for you. And then he said a very revealing sentence. He said, well, I first heard this in college. And this man standing in front of me was at least in his mid-50s. And then he later said, I've been dealing with this for more than 30 years. Listen, what he was asking me about might have been interesting to discuss, but it wasn't worth dividing over. And believe me, it wasn't worth holding on to for 30 years. This is a brother who hasn't learned from the curriculum of life. He has maintained his rigidity about things that he needed to develop flexibility. And so, maturing leaders are flexible about more things. Number four, maturing leaders match their leadership style with situational demands. Now, when I first heard the phrase situational leadership, I reacted very negatively because I was equating it with some kind of situational ethics. It's not the same thing. When I was younger, uh, people would ask me, well, what's your leadership style? And I would even ask other leaders to describe their leadership style. Now, if you ask me my leadership style, I would respond with a question back to you. I would say, well, what's the situation? What's the situation? Because there are some situations that require me to have a collaborative leadership style, and there are others which call from me a more controlling leadership style. Most of the time, for example, here at Gateway Seminary, I convene meetings and I ask, what do you people think? Uh, what are our best ideas? How can we go forward together? How can we work this situation out so that we can uh, make it the best for as many people as possible and go forward as much as possible together? But occasionally, I have to reach in my wallet and pull out this little card that has my name on it, and under my name, it has the word president. And I have to look at that and remind myself, you know, you are the president. And sometimes I just have to cut through all the other uh, conversation and say, this is what we're doing, and here's why. Let's get moving. Now, I choose my leadership style because as I've lived through the curriculum of life, I have learned about so many different situations that I've now encountered as a leader and that I've been involved with as a leader. And as I go through this curriculum of life, I've learned that different situations call for different kinds of leadership. And so I've learned to match my leadership style with situational demands so that sometimes I'm much more uh, focused on empowering and collaborate, uh, collaborating and on bringing people together and on hearing out ideas. And on some other occasions, nope, I'm very controlling, uh, very presidential. Some might say even on occasion dictatorial, but this is how it's going to be. Let's get moving. Now, Learning when and how to do those things has come through the experiences of life, come through the leadership challenges I've had to face, and come through not only observing those, but watching other leaders and seeing how they performed in different situations and the masterful way, perhaps, that they worked through them and what I could learn from that. So, maturing leaders match leadership style with situational demands. Number five. 
Maturing leaders focus on major issues instead of minor problems. In other words, to use the old illustration, we focus on getting the big rocks in the jar. Now, frankly, this is a, a problem for some younger leaders who want to have their hands on everything and try to make sure that everything is done exactly the way they want it. Now, there's many problems with that. First of all, you're going to run yourself ragged going to every meeting and trying to make every decision and being involved by giving input on every issue. But second, doing this, you miss out on the serendipitous blessing of discovering that there are some people around you who actually know more than you do and actually can do a better job than you can do if you'll just turn them loose and let them do it. So I've learned not to focus on every minor problem and try to solve everything myself and micromanage or control every outcome of every issue. Instead, I've tried to focus on the big picture parts of problem solving. And for me, the biggest picture is getting the right people on the problem. My major focus is hiring the right people and getting them on the right problem so that we'll have the right outcomes eventually. The clearest example of this is mistakes I made when I first came to the seminary about trying to micromanage the curriculum of the seminary. Now, the curriculum is the classes that are put together to create degree plan, degree programs, and the curriculum is uh, what's actually taught in those classes in terms of the things that are required in each course, the learning outcomes that are expected, the subjects that are going to be covered, and the aspects of those subjects that are particular for each class. I found myself in the early days trying to micromanage that as a president, and it was frustrating for everyone. I was frustrated because I wasn't getting where I wanted to go. The faculty was frustrated because I kept meddling in what really is their living daily life of teaching the curriculum. Finally, after some mistakes and some trial and error and some learning experiences and some wise counsel, I realized that what I really needed to do was focus on the major issues of getting the right leadership in place and the right faculty working on the problems, and then communicate not the micromanaged methodology of how to get it done, but instead communicate the outcomes and give the parameters for those outcomes. So, for example, I went to the faculty a number of years ago and said, here are some things that students are telling us they're not getting from our curriculum. Here are some limitations on curriculum development that budget and staffing mandate. But within the limitations, what changes can we make that would solve the problem of what the students are not getting from the curriculum? So by laying out the problem and the parameters and getting the right people working on it, we got some really good solutions, creative solutions, insightful solutions, but most importantly, workable solutions that the people who had to actually implement it were willing to do. So this is a good example of me learning how to focus on major issues, getting the right people working on a problem, giving them the parameters and giving them the possibilities and helping them and, and then turning them loose, if you will, freeing them up, if you will, to go out and find solutions. Now, maturing leaders do this. We focus on major problems. We focus on solving those at the big rock in the jar phase. 
and we don't get caught up in trying to solve every minor problem that comes our way. All right, here's another one. Number six, maturing leaders are less susceptible to criticism and discouragement. Notice I did not say not susceptible, but less susceptible. Now, as I've gotten older, I have gotten, frankly, less criticism than I did as a younger leader because I think I've actually gotten a little better at this. I've definitely grown and matured and developed my capacities for working with people and with processes, and so that's resulted in less criticism. I have, however, taken more public stands on more public issues, and that has resulted in more criticism from a distance and more criticism in more public places. But I would say that overall, I've become less susceptible to the discouragement that comes from criticism, negativity, and a disappointment that, that is an inevitable part of leadership. It's, it's because I have grown in my capacity uh, for number seven. And that is, number seven, maturing leaders increase their capacity to trust God. You know, I've now been a ministry leader in some public format for about 45 years. And over that length of time, I have seen God work. I have seen God bring salvation to people who I thought could never be saved. I have seen God bring focus to churches that were divided and and broken. I have seen God create new churches with new leaders that were that generated new movements uh, for reaching people in communities. I have seen God provide financially, pour out His resources, and make sure that people had that what they needed to go forward together. Uh, I've seen God heal families. I've seen God uh, transform uh, broken people. I've seen God work. And because of that, I have a much quicker default these days to trusting God when times are puzzling, are difficult, are troublesome, or there's real needs. In fact, I find myself saying this far more often today than I did 20 years ago. In meetings here at Gateway, I'll find myself now frequently saying, well, we need God to help us. We need God to intervene. We need to trust God on this one. Now, that doesn't mean we quit working. doesn't mean we keep that we stop thinking. It uh, doesn't mean that we... Uh, are not fully engaged on trying to work our way out of the situation. But I've just been at this long enough to know that uh, some things you're not going to work out. God's just going to have to step in. And as a maturing leader, it's calmed me down and limited my re reactionary uh, attacks on others and given me a peace and an ease about what I do and helped me to be less anxious because now I've learned to trust God more than ever. Now, I want to balance that out. I did not say that I'm never anxious, that I, I don't have any uh, concerns, that I, I'm never worried, uh, that I'm always full of faith. I didn't say any of that. But as a maturing leader, I'm much, I'm much more likely today to have the default answer of trusting God because my capacity for doing that has increased over time. Well, I started this podcast by saying it's graduation season at Gateway Seminary. 
It's so good to celebrate graduation. It is so good to see those students walk across that stage, get that diploma or that degree. Man, it's just such an achievement to complete formal ministry training. But that is not the only school that God wants to send you to. Life is curriculum. And from the time of your graduation, or if you haven't graduated from the time that your formal education ended, whenever that was, from that time on, you're still in school. You're still studying an important curriculum. You're still experiencing the curriculum of life. And developing the capacity to discern how God is at work in your life through the curriculum he's putting you through, to be sanctified by it, to be shaped by it, to be matured by it. This is the mark of a leader who continues to grow over a lifetime. Now, from my observation and from observing other leaders, I have seen that after seminary, maturing leaders learn from experiences, both successes and failures. They narrow their focus to what they do best. Maturing leaders are more flexible, are flexible about more things and rigid about fewer things. We're able to match our leadership style with situational demands. And maturing leaders learn to focus on major issues more than minor problems. And we're less susceptible. We're still somewhat susceptible, but we're less susceptible to discouragement and criticism because we have learned finally to trust God with a greater dimension than we had 10, 20 certainly 40 years ago. Wherever you are in the developmental phase of your leadership lifetime, I hope you will reflect on this podcast and understand that life is curriculum. What you're living through are not a haphazard set of circumstances that randomly happen to you. No. God has you in school. He's designed the curriculum. And if you'll pay attention... Not only will you be living out the curriculum, you'll also be learning from it. This is a part of what it means to mature as a leader. As you lead on, you have the capacity to be growing, changing, and being shaped into an even better leader than you were a year ago, a decade ago, or in my case now, almost a lifetime ago. Put these principles into practice Cooperate with God in the curriculum of life. Learn from what you're experiencing. As you do it, you'll become a better leader, which will enable you to even do a more effective job as you lead on. 